And I'd love for you to open to the book of Revelation chapter 5. In the last few weeks we've talked about, um, well last week we talked about the victory of the martyrs. Uh, the witnesses to the testimony of Christ who were faithful witnesses. They were faithful even when faced with death. Uh, Two weeks before that, we really spent some time talking about the the songs of honor and the the statements of of his worth, uh, both to to God, the Father who sits on the throne, and and to Christ the Lamb that was slain. And I want to get back to that uh, tonight as we talk about um, some of these, these thr- songs around the throne, some of these songs that are given to Jesus, uh, um, and one aspect of them. And there's a phrase that, that pops up, there's a theme that pops up throughout the book of Revelation. And that is the theme of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It comes up a lot, and I know I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but um, sometimes we picture, we picture that in, in that day, when we're not here, we're there. When we are given a new body, that somehow it'll be this, um, we're, we're given a new body, a new identity, that no, it doesn't really matter where we came from, it doesn't really matter what, what, what background we had, that we'll all just kind of be a, a homogenous monolith, that we'll just kind of be a one type of person that all look the same. And I think there's some truth in the fact that the distinctions will be gone. There won't be superiority. There won't be class. There won't be a sense of anyone is better or worse. Um, there's going to be true honor and worship of Jesus. And it's just like it says in Colossians, Christ is all, Christ in all. There's no distinction between these different races and classes or even gender. It says uh, that there's not even a, dis- there's a distinction, but there's no difference between male or female. In other words, uh, who we are is who we are in Christ before who we are by whatever identity we've, we, we find ourselves in. That said, he sure says a lot throughout the book of Revelation. So, you know, at the beginning of all these things, at the end of all things, and all in the middle, he really talks a lot about every nation, every tribe, every tongue. You see it over and over again. Um, and you don't see God trying to wipe that history away. You don't, you don't see him try to say, well, forget about that. You don't forget about where you came from. Forget about who you were. In fact, he seems to get a lot of honor from the fact that we are from these diverse groups and we've come as one flock under one shepherd. And I want to focus on that a little bit tonight. I want to talk about what it means and, and, and uh, to be called as one nation, one tribe under Christ, one people group under Christ, and yet from different people groups. And to understand that God is not trying to change that. God's not trying to say, forget who you were. He is giving us a new identity. We are a nation. We are a holy nation, a royal priesthood whose citizenship is in heaven. And yet God gets glory from the fact that we came from every nation in every tribe. So I want you to see this in Revelation chapter 5 when he says this. Of course, they're talking uh, about the lamb that was slain and it says this in in verse 9. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book, the book of history, and to break its seals for you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men or humans from every tribe and tongue And people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. Now I've said this. I said this already tonight. But if you were to go through the book of Revelation. He he says this a lot. 
This is not the only time he brings up every tribe, every nation, every, every race, every nation. It keeps coming up. It's, it's at the beginning of the picture in heaven. It's at the end of the picture in heaven. So it must be a big deal. If stuff gets repeated in the scripture, I think it's a big deal. By the time we get to Revelation chapter 7, you know, he speaks about the multitude who came out of the tribulation. And he says this in verse 10, they cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. And they said, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And then the elders, one of the elders answered saying to me, those who are clothed in the white robes, who are they and where have they come from? I said, my Lord, you know. And he said, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and they made them white with the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they, serve, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer. They will thirst no more. Nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Once again, we're seeing uh, groups from all over. We're seeing people from all over. And by the time we get to Revelation chapter 21, I just want to read that to you real quick. We'll see it over and over again, but I, I'm not going to go to every situation that you see it. But by the time we get to Revelation chapter 21, he once again mentions in verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll no longer be any death. There'll no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So what God is promising them now is that you're going to be one under me. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And uh, we have to understand that to be his people means that we're his nation, we're his tribe, we're his, we're his, his own possession, but we're also his family. By the time we come down to verse 22, it says, I saw no temple in it. He's describing the city of God. He says, there's no temple in the city. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illumined it, or has lit it up. And its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So he's talking about a new heaven and a new earth. He says, the first things are gone. So our present world is already gone at this point. By the time he's writing this, there's a new heaven, new earth. The first things have passed away. He's made all things new, but he still says there's kings on the earth. Well, who are these people? Well, the scripture says that among those that are alive right now, we're going to reign with him. He says there's going to be people that are going to reign on earth with him. They'll be kings and priests to our God. So he says, but the kings of the earth will bring their glory. The nations will walk by its light. This is what's interesting. That word nations is the Greek word ethnos. So what does that sound like to you? Ethnicity, ethnic groups, right? Why are there still ethnic groups after he's wiped away the, the first things? Because in our mind we go, that's the problem. 
right? The problem is there's too many groups, and, and we're always fighting. We can't get along. But you understand, he is such a great king. He is such a great king that when he's ruling the heavens and the earth, when he's on his throne, and he's on his throne now, but there is a time right now where he is not fully reigning with a rod of iron. There will be a time when he is ruling completely. And it says there's still going to be nations. There's still going to be groups of people. And their, 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 their ethnicities and their nations won't be a dividing factor, but it'll be like a coat of many colors. There's going to be something good about that. He says the nations will walk by his light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, there will be no light, night there. Its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. You see that? They will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. We've talked about this before, but it's an amazing thing that we would have glory to give to God. Right? That we would have something that we could give to him. You know, the old question is, what do you give somebody who's got everything? Right? How in the world could we give something to God that he doesn't have? Well, he's given, uh, he has bestowed on people. He's bestowed this glory on us. He's given us honor, right? And this is not, is, you know, there's a, scripture, there's a scripture that says, and it says it more than once, that he will not share his glory with another, right? There's nobody that's going to equal God. There's nobody that's going to say, I'm, I'm equal to you. I'm, I, me and you, we're, this, we're just the same. I, I have as much glory as you do. And yet, the scripture is full of examples where he says, I have given you glory. I've crowned you with glory. It says that in the Psalms, who is the man that you are mindful of us, but you've crowned him with glory. So there is a glory. There is something that we have that we bring to the Lord. It came from him, but we bring it to him, right? Just tonight, like when you brought your offerings, God gave you that money and you gave money back to him. God gave you a voice and you gave the song back to him. You know, so here it says there is glory and there's honor of the nations. There's glory and there's honor of the nations. And so I want you to understand that there is something unique in every nation that we're going to bring into the city of God. And he's going to get glory from the fact that we're not all one monolith group. We're all one. We're all one in him. We gain our identity from him. We're one nation, but there's diversity. Even in the new heaven and in the new earth, there's nations. He's not trying to wipe that away, but it'll be sanctified. You see, everything God creates, Satan tries to pervert. Yeah? See, God created sex, right? The kids are downstairs. We can say this. <laughs> well, it'd be good. For, there's a certain point. You got to tell your kids that, right? I mean, like, they're going to find out all sorts of weird ideas from school, you know? God created sex, and yet Satan has really tried to pervert that. But it is good. God created man, love between a man and a woman. It is good. It was around before there was sin. And yet Satan has tried to pervert that. God created, listen, God created the world before there was sin. He, put, he hid diamonds in the mountains. He put gold in places. Like, I mean, we didn't invent this stuff. It was there. God put it there. Right? And so he created the, the wealth of the nations. He created the wealth of the earth for mankind. And yet we've, per, we've perverted that, right? We, we've turned it into a God. We've chased that rather than chasing him. So everything good, Satan tries to pervert. Satan is not a creator. He can't create, but he can twist. 
So what do we do? You know, we can throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, he's, he's ruined it for all of us. Music is a great example. God created music. That, you know, we've talked about this. We've talked about the songs that are, that Revelation is full of songs. And we've talked about the fact that many scholars believe that God sang creation into existence, that, that, that the, the universe is, is held together by sound, like that this is still going, reverberating around everything. And yet Satan has tried to use music and pervert it to, to bring ideas and to bring, uh, uh, you know, a, a false reality and a false truth to so many. But you don't say, well, no more music. Let's just get rid of music. You say, let's go back to what it was meant to be. What's the point of this, right? What's the point of love? What's the point of all these? We don't, just because Satan's perverted something, you don't throw out the original because if that happens, he won, right? If, if by making a counterfeit, he's devalued, devalued the original, he got what he wanted. So we go back and we say, God, what'd you create this for? So there, there are differences amongst us. We all came from one tribe. We all came from one common ancestor. But there's differences. And those differences, they're not a bad thing. But we've turned these things in a bad thing. We've used them to make ourselves superior to others. We've used them to, to, to give us reason for war and give us reason to, to say, I'm going to dominate you. Jesus says to his disciples, when, remember, they were going to go to Jerusalem, but they were going through Samaria. Because Jesus, you know, the Samaritans were, were uh, a, a weird little branch of Israel. You know, they were a group of people who came from the same group, but they had twisted their belief of God. It had become twisted by the cultures they were surrounded by. They thought they were right. They were convinced they were right. And when Jesus goes through the Samaritan villages, he treats them like the house of Israel because they are of the house of Israel. And yet they're alienated. They, they, they're like the cult. They don't get along. And they, they think the Jews are wrong and the Jews think they're wrong. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's got his face set towards Jerusalem. But he goes through Samaria. He goes through the Samaritan villages. And he's going preaching to these villages. And he comes to a particular Samaritan village to preach. And they're ready to receive him until they find out he's on his way to Jerusalem. When they find out he's on the way to Jerusalem, they say, you can't stop here. You can't stay here. You can't stay at our houses. We don't receive you. Why? Because you're going to witness to the other guys. You're going to visit the other guys, and we don't get along with those guys. This is like a Dr. Seuss novel. If you can call anything Dr. Seuss wrote a novel. <laughs> Do a lot of heavy reading at home. Just finished Cat in the Hat. Man, let's stick with it. No, yeah. So they're, they're on their way. These Samaritans say, no, if you're, if you're, if you're going to that group, we're not, we're not going to receive you. And as they go through, James and John finally have a reason. Finally have their Cassus Bellum. They finally have a case for war. They say, Jesus, let's call down fire. Let's destroy them. And Jesus says, you know, you don't know what spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men, but to save them. Right? But, but, but they want to they kill these people. Because these people don't receive you. And I, I don't think they've noticed that their own people didn't receive Jesus either. But they didn't want to call down fire on their own people. But these people, let's call down fire on them. There was another time, remember, where Jesus is, is you know, he's always being challenged by the fact that he's accepting people that 
He shouldn't be accepting. He shouldn't be hanging out with these people. He shouldn't be fine with these people. He shouldn't be okay. And there's another point around the same period of time where the disciples begin to argue about who's going to be the greatest in his kingdom. And he says, that's not the way it works in my kingdom. He says, you're talking like the Gentiles. In other words, the people that don't know God. He says, amongst them, when they get a little bit of power, they use it to control one another. But in my kingdom, the least will be the greatest. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you've got to make yourself a slave to all. So you understand where we get in the most trouble, where we get in the most problems as diverse people, is when we try to use our differences not, and our strengths not to serve one another, but we use our strengths to dominate one another, to try to gain control. That's where wars start. That's where, that's where all the evils in history kind of come from that root of that desire for power, desire for, for greed for money, desire for this and desire for that, but anything other than God. And it's in this that we've assumed our differences are going to be a problem for the rest of eternity. But they're not. There's actually a glory that comes from the nations. I want to remind you of what Paul said to the Athenians when he's preaching in Athens in, in Acts chapter 17. In fact, you could turn there if you wanted to. In Acts 17, Paul is preaching to the Greeks in Athens and the Athenians were, were you know, a very... Um, advanced, educated people. You know, for all the Romans' dominance culturally, they actually had really adapted to the Greek culture. I mean, they, they dominated through their military. They, they conquered nations. They controlled things politically. But a lot of the Roman culture of Jesus' time actually came from the Greeks, even down to their, their gods and goddesses. They really, the Romans were good at adapting things from the people they conquered. And the Greeks were seen as the intellectual and cultural, you know, apex. They were at the top. And so the Athenians particularly, I mean, you have to, we all understand that it, the Athenians didn't just see themselves as Greeks. They saw themselves as Athenians, right? Like this is who they were. It wasn't like they figured they're the same as the people in Corinth or they're the same as the people down, you know, in a different part of Greece. They saw themselves first and foremost as Athenians. We are from Athens. And they actually believe we sprang up. We're not related to any of these other people. We sprang up from our own ground right here from Athenian soil. This is who we are. We're not much like the rest of them. We are pure Athenians. So there was this arrogance of where we came from. Intellectual, cultural, ethnic arrogance. And Paul talks to them and he says, after he's pointed out the, the, the statue to the unknown God, he said this, he said, in verse 26, Acts 17, 26, he said, he made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Listen to that. He made from one every nation. You know, the United States has a Latin motto on their seal. It says, e pluribus unum. It means out of many, one. Paul actually says the reverse here. It says, out of one, there came many. So these people said, we're not related to you, you, you bunch of scumbags. We're, we're unique. We're from our own. And Paul actually says, actually, we all came from one. You're related to him. He's related to you. Deal with it. That's your dirty cousin. We're all part of the same group. 
We all came from one, right? And we understand that through the scripture. He says he made from one man or one, one nation, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. This means that God was involved in setting up these nations. Do you see that? He says he determined their appointed times. He, in other words, he was involved with which, which empires rose at which times. He was involved in, some, in, in these things. And it says, and the boundaries of their habitation. And here was the purpose in verse 27. That they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him. Though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his children. So God set the world up in a way that every nation would seek him. That every nation would have a knowledge that there was something bigger. And he said, you're going to grope around. Now listen, he revealed himself explicitly to the Israelites. And if you look back to what God said to Abraham, it says, Abraham, your seed is going to be a blessing to all nations. And in fact, if you follow the story of Israel, they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They were supposed to demonstrate God to the world. They messed up. They made it about them, right? They were supposed to show God to the world, but they didn't really do that. They did that at times, but most of the time they missed it. He says, the nations, before Jesus came, the nations are groping blindly around. So you have different cultures that are trying to find their way to God. And he said, some of you are going to stumble upon him. Some of you are going to stumble upon some truth. But the wonderful thing is, is what he said at the beginning of this sermon. He says, what you've worshipped in ignorance, I'm about to declare to you. What you've been looking for, and this is the greatest thing about every nation on the planet, every tribe on the planet, every religious group that ever sprung up out of man's ideas, they're not God's ideas, they came from man's search for God, but even in all those things, you can find traces, you can find traces of a knowledge of God, you can find traces of light. Things that are little elements and remnants that are left over. That they, somewhere in their DNA, somewhere in their history, they know something. They've figured something out and they got a lot wrong, but they've got some right. What the gospel does is it takes what we were looking around blindly and searching for and it brings light. It says everything you've been looking for is, is, is in Jesus. What you've been worshiping in ignorance, this is who I'm about to declare to you. Here in Canada, before Europeans showed up, you had a group of people, different, different tribes. It wasn't one group with one religious idea. It was lots of different tribes all across North America. And many of them honored one creator who created everything. Now, many of them began, you know, just like my ancestors in the British Isles, began to worship created things rather than just the creator, right? We worshiped animals. We, you know, we worshiped the spirits in the trees, and we lost track of the one true God. But there's a sense that there is a God. We just don't really know. We don't have much definition of him. And when the gospel came, it said, this is the God you've been looking for. This is who you've been trying to worship this whole time. This is who you've been trying to reach this whole time. It's, it's this wonderful father who created us all and he sent Jesus and Jesus showed us what God looked like. And I love what Paul said. He said, God actually set up these nations. He actually gave you a place. He actually knew where you'd land. If you think about 
Tower of Babel, right? You've got all these people working together. But they're working together in rebellion against God. They're working together in arrogance. God actually says, if these people are saying the same thing and think, and, you know, following the same goal and speaking the same language, he says nothing will be impossible for them. So he confuses their languages because the one thing that won't be impossible for them is a very bad thing for them. It will destroy them. This pride will, will reach God. They, they're falling into the same sin that Satan himself fell into in the beginning, right? So God says, I'm going to confuse their languages. And he, when he confused their languages, they, they couldn't work together. They couldn't cooperate. They couldn't live together. But isn't it wonderful that on the day of Pentecost, he took all these languages and he made all these different people hear the same thing. You have 3,000 people born again on a, one day. And the, I love in the book of Acts where it lists all the nations these people came from. And they all said this. They didn't say those 120 people up there are speaking different languages. And I hear mine as one of them. Because that would have been mass confusion, right? If you had 120 people speaking 120 languages or even like 15 languages, yelling them out, you're not going to say, wow. They're praising God. You're going to say, what? This is, this is just chaos. But it actually says, if you, if you read it, just read it with fresh eyes. It says, we hear them, each of us hear them in each of our languages. So you can imagine somebody's there saying, they're speaking, I mean, because he mentions Arabic countries. So you can imagine the guy goes, where do these guys learn Arabic? And the guy next to him goes, they're not speaking Arabic, they're speaking Greek. The other guy says, no, they're speaking Parthian. And people, it dawns on them. We're each hearing them in our own languages. And what are they saying? They're praising God. Which the prophets had said, one day all the Gentiles with one voice will praise God. So God is answering that prayer. But he's, what is he doing? He's reversing Babel. He's reversing what happened on Babel. He is joining his people by the Holy Spirit into one language. Where they're saying the same thing. That's powerful. That's awesome. That's the reality we live in now. So here, God is not uncomfortable speaking their language. We know that, right? We know because Jesus came to the, to the Hebrew people, because he came to the Jewish people, he came speaking their language. He came speaking Aramaic. He didn't come speaking it because it was the perfect language. He came speaking it because those were the people he came to. But if Jesus is going to be over here, he's going to speak the language that these people speak. When Jesus appears to people in the Middle East, he's not going to say, learn English and then talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> why, don't you, why, don't you, why don't you hillbilly speak Hebrew? What's wrong with you? Not that modern stuff. Old school Hebrew. No, he doesn't do that, right? He speaks our language. He's not afraid of that. He's not intimidated. It doesn't take any glory from him. For there's a glory of the nations that we bring. And I don't know about you, but when you go to another part of the world where they don't speak our language, they don't act like us, their culture is completely different, and you step into a church service and you begin to sing together, all of a sudden you feel like you're home. 
I feel, I've said this to you before, but like been in places in like the Philippines or Vietnam or, or you know, up north, where, you know, in some of the, the really far north remote Cree reserves. And in all these places, once you begin to worship God with people, even if you don't understand the songs and you're just trying your best as this white kid to sing along with whatever they're singing, you feel more at home than you do at the mall in your own city. There's something common and yet something diverse. I don't know about you, but some of you have been on, been in missions in different places. You know that um, because we live in the dominant culture, we always hear our songs translated into other languages, and that's fine. You can kind of sing along, but like you really get excited when they start singing their songs. You're like, I love that hill song that you're doing. I know which one you're singing, and I, we sing that at home too. Cool, samezies, but really, I love when you sing that song that sounds like you guys. And you're using your instruments, right? Y'all are like, oh, isn't that beautiful? I've heard people say, well, we can't use our instruments. Our instruments are of the devil. There's a lot that the devil's tried to steal, right? And we have to be wise. I mean, some, some things, I, I remember uh, on, a, on a reserve, there was, there was a way of playing a certain instrument that, you know, there were people in the crowd, they just couldn't get into it because it, it took them right back to that moment where they were, they were dancing for these other spirits, and it really brought them back. But you know what? There might be a time where God brings us to a place where we don't think about that anymore with that instrument. We play, you know, maybe we play it differently, or we, or even we, we've, we begin to change the songs and begin to change the culture of how we use that instrument. I mean, you can go to a Christian bookstore and, and get, you know, praise and worship bagpipe songs and, and hear them sing amazing, play Amazing Grace on the bagpipe and say, this is the most anointed thing in the world. It's so beautiful. But you know what my ancestors used, used to use bagpipes for? I mean, they used them for some dirty things. I mean, they, they played those, that music to worship. Their gods, they played those worship, those music when they went to war. They, you know, they, this wasn't a holy thing, and somehow it's become used for God. And God's not intimidated by that. He doesn't say, okay, go back and find the original Jewish instruments. <laughs> you can only use those, and you can only sing to me in Hebrew. No, he, he brings the glory of the nations. And he gains glory from it. We bring our glory from our people, from our ethnicities, and we bring them to God and we become one in him. There's a difference between saying we are all one in Christ. There's a difference between that and saying we're all the same. We're all one, but we don't have to be all the same. Does that make sense? We don't have to be uniform. We can be unique, diverse, and yet one in Christ. I'm reading... um, I think for the last 13 years, I've always come back to Colossians 3 in my, in my own heart. But what it meant, because, you know, when I first started pastoring, I first started pastoring in a church that whether you're talking about the people that lived in the reserve, we, we were different, or even the people that lived in this town. I wasn't a small town guy. I came from Loon Lake, but those Loon Lakers were not like me. Whether they were white or native, they weren't like me. And it was the coolest thing because it taught me to find family outside of these shallow, fleshly things that make, you know, we have in common. I had friends that started churches and they would post pictures of what was going on in their churches. And I didn't want to tell them, but I was like, everybody in your church has the same haircut. (laughs) (laughs) They wear the same clothes and the same shoes. This is a little weird. 
but it wasn't. And they were just starting out, and you know, they all came from college or whatever. But it's cool to get past those things and find what makes us common beyond our surface culture and find there's a much greater bond and that God doesn't need you to be all the same. You know, I've had people ask, is, 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 is the Loon Lake and Lloyd Minster, are they just two different campuses of the same church? I'm like, no. They're different churches and they're very different and that's good and that's fine. We don't need to make that a mini version of this. It is what that is, you know, and we, I remember when I first started pastoring, even to today, you had a bunch of people on the reserve side say, oh, that's the white church, and you had the people on the town side say, that's the Indian church, and we're just in the middle going, well, we are what we are, <laughs> right? Because, you know, what, we, you got to identify by something, and what, whatever you, you, whatever you choose to unite you will be the thing that divides you from someone else. In Colossians 3, and I love this, he says, put on the new self. In verse 10, it says, have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all, and he's in all. One translation says, everyone is included in Christ and everyone is identified by Christ. We've talked about the massive differences between the Greeks and the Jews, the massive differences between those groups and the barbarians, massive difference between the Scythians and, and, and the rest of these groups, but he says they're all one in Christ. Once again, they're all one, but it doesn't mean that the Scythians have to start acting Greek. Or the barbarians have to start acting Jewish. And that was one of the big fights that happened in the early church was that the original folks were trying to make everybody act a little bit more Jewish. And they wouldn't eat with them. And it caused division. And they had to find that there was some differences that were all right. That they, that they didn't have the monopoly on culture. And why am I saying this to you today? Because what we tend to do, especially, and you guys have to realize, even though we're in Lloydminster and there's many different nations in Lloydminster, because the, the biblical idea of nations is not a nation state. It's not a country. It's people groups, right? So there's many nations in Lloydminster right now. The easiest thing in the world would be for us to all separate and just start churches based on our nations. But I think there's a far greater glory in us finding something bigger, now, why does God get glory? This is back to the original question. Why does God get glory by having people from all tribes and nations voluntarily, cheerfully follow him? Because the greater the differences, the greater the leader that has to unite them. The fact that all these different people from all these different groups can unite under one king gives glory to that king because he must be great. It must mean he's greater than all our differences. It must mean he's greater than all our things that make us not get along sometimes. He's, if he's greater than all these things, he's the greatest king that's ever existed. There will never be another king like that. Even when you see the pictures of a, of a leader that seems to arise in the last days that, you, that, that people unite under, the, the idea is that the whole world unites under this leader, but no matter what your eschatological background is, you'll find when you read, not everybody follows that guy. Mm 
Not every nation does. There's nobody that will ever be able to unite the world except for Jesus. That's how great he is. That's how great he is. So if he can do that then, can he do it now? You see, I I belong to a cultural group that has dominated the culture for a long time. That's not always a good thing because we tend in human nature If we're not humbled before Christ, what we tend to do is go back to what Jesus said the Gentiles do, which is try to use our strength to dominate. In a marriage, if a husband uses his physical strength to dominate his wife, that's abuse. If the woman uses her strength in maybe in, in, in controlling the conversation or, or, you know, whatever her strength is, whatever his strength is, no matter what, because the woman might be physically stronger than the man too, I don't know. But if we use our strengths to dominate the other, that's not love. That's abuse. Now, it's a different level of abuse depending on how you do it, but it's still not love. Jesus told us, use your strengths to serve. He showed us. He used his strength to serve. The greatest show of strength was the cross. So what do we do? God's used empires to make a way for the gospel. He used the Roman Empire, but the Roman Empire also tried to use God. The British Empire, he used the British Empire to send missionaries all over the world, but the British Empire tried to use God as well. See, we always try to use God. When, when the Gentiles and the people that don't know God find out that God is a way to power, they will pretend to like God. When a politician learns that this part of the world will vote for me if I say I love Jesus, he will act like he loves Jesus. Right? But it doesn't mean he loves Jesus. We always try to, you know, the Gentiles will always use God or religion to try to control. We saw the Crusades. You know what are they trying to do? They're trying to get Jerusalem back. Well, in reality, it's a power grab. But let's put a holy name on it, put some crosses on our shield, and we'll get these peasants to die for us if we promise them a trip to heaven. The Spanish come over to the New World. They say, we're going to preach the gospel to the natives. Good goal. Wonderful plan. The problem is when you start crucifying those natives, maybe you've missed the point. You start making them your slaves. Maybe you've messed up somewhere along the line. You've not demonstrated Christ. You've demonstrated empire. You've actually sullied the name of Christ. We still do that today. So for, let's use this as an example. So we do an outreach to a northern reserve, right? You go there, and we want to help the local people that are there, the believers on the ground. We want to help them. We want to bless them. The temptation is to create a little version of ourselves and say, do it like this. This works. It may not work there. And it probably shouldn't have to work there. What we need to do is to come and serve, not come and do and say, well, this is is what works. Well, this is what works in Lloyd. It may not work in northern Manitoba. And by doing it, if we create, if we say following Jesus means you need to be a little bit more white, (laughs) we've lied. And we've created a problem here. But we accidentally do it all the time. Guys, without any ill intentions, we always do this. We feel comfortable in our own cultural group, right? This is how we praise the Lord. This is the style of song we use. Learn these songs. I remember one time I was on a reserve. It was a really remote reserve. And, and I was playing with the, the uh, pastor's kid. We, he was a really good guitar player. He was only like 
12 years old, but he could do solos for all the songs. He was really, really talented. I was a teenager. I had just learned some new delirious music that I was real excited about. So we're sitting there, and we're like exchanging music, and I'm playing these songs. I'm singing these songs that are full of worship to God, and I'm playing on the guitar, and he goes, that's really good, but do you know any Jesus music? Because <laughs> to him, it wasn't Jesus music unless it had the same three chords. Unless it was country gospel, it wasn't Jesus, right? So what do we try to do? We try to identify by our culture and by our understanding is what Jesus looks like. I'm going to tell you, I think there's a beauty when we come and we say, all right, let's come together. Let's lay down our things that make us different. Let's lay down the things that we think are special. Let's lay down our style and let's find out what makes us common in Christ. Let's lay all these, this glory of the nations and let's not, we don't have to become one uniform group. Let's be different. And bring it before the king and say, we're bringing what makes us different to you. This is the glory of Africa. This is the glory of Europe. This is the glory of Asia. We're bringing it before the king and saying, but all of these things bow to you. And because you're so great of a king, we can worship together. My African friends sing like this. My Asian friends sing like this. My First Nations friends sing like this. And and we all get together and and we, we speak different and we talk different and we even preach different but there's glory in it. And we find, you tend to find in those, in those areas, you find something common in all of those things. And usually what you find common in all of those things are the greatest, most foundational things. It's the cream that rises to the top. I found out what was important and what I believed when I went to another nation. And I discovered the things in church, in the church service that didn't really matter but in every place I go, there's, a little, there's this. I see this in every place I go. Maybe that's something that's really important. Maybe this is something that's a, a, a proof of the Holy Spirit is amongst us. How can I put this into practice today? How can you put this in practice today? Because we, we all know we'll do it someday, right? But how can I put this in practice today? What can I do with this information? What can I do with this knowledge that I have glory, that my ethnicity, my culture has glory to bring to God. But the problem is when I put my culture on the throne instead of Jesus, then everything becomes twisted. Jesus belongs on the throne. I think what, one of the best things you can do is don't be so uptight about what you think a Christian looks like. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but let's focus on looking like Jesus. And Jesus looks a little different to every group. But there are elements that you go, no matter what, Jesus is this. Right? Because we're not all going to go and dress in in, in, uh, first century Hebrew clothes. We're not all going to go and and, and try to wear rabbinical garments. We're going to have to find what Jesus looks like today. But he'll look a little different and he'll look the same. I want to read you as we close something from Psalm 96. And see the heart of God in this psalm. I want you to know that your uniqueness is not a threat to God. What makes you different is not a threat to God. Don't make that difference an an idol though. Don't make it about you. Don't make it like this is what makes me special. Listen, what makes you special is that you're created in the image of God. That makes you special. What makes you special is that Jesus died for you. That makes you special. 
So don't hold your uniqueness as something that's so valuable that no one could ever take away. You know, bring it to the Lord. And, and we're not threatened by any, any differences amongst us. We shouldn't be. So if somebody looks different, someone sounds different, someone preaches different. The style of preaching I preach in right now probably was not the style that they would have preached in the early church. Is that okay to say? Are you, you're not threatened by that, right? The style of preaching right now is a very Western style. It doesn't make it the only way, right? We could sit around in a circle and discuss the things of the Lord and it would still be blessed by God, right? So, you know, we have to be willing to hold things loosely. The things that are changeable hold loosely and the things that are eternal hold tight to those things. In Psalm 96, it says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Remember, this is a guy who is living in a nation that says we're the chosen people. But this is a, he's understanding this truth. We're not the only people God created. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations. And when we say among the nations, we're talking about ethnic groups, people groups all over the world. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So why am I telling different cultures? Why am I preaching the gospel all over the world? Why don't you just stick to your own kind? Why, do, why does this need to be preached to every tribe, every nation, every tongue? Why does every nation in the world need to know about our king? Because he's great. And he's worthy to be praised. He's a great enough king to have all these people follow him and not have to be the exact same group of people. That we can have all these people that find our one identity in Christ. The Bible says we were once not a people, but now we are the people of God. We were once not a nation, but we now we are a holy nation. We had once not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. So we are one nation in Christ. That's our first identity. We're one nation made up of many nations. And he says, great is the Lord. Great is Yahweh, literally, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. In other words, they're false, they're fake, they're not real. But the Lord, but Yahweh made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. In other words, families all over the world, tribes all over the world, different groups. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations. Now what did Israel do? They stayed to themselves. Even when God said, when Jesus said, you're going to preach this gospel to the ends of the earth, what did they do? They stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't leave until they were forced to leave by persecution. They just wanted to stay. Let's just stay here. Persecution forced them to scatter. As bad as it was, it was the best thing that happened for them because they finally carried out the Great Commission. But he says, say it among the nations. The Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all it contains. Let the field exult in all that's in it. Let all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for he's coming. He's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness.
Jesus died for the world. We should have the same love for the world that he has. We should have the same love for the tribe, every tribe, every nation, every tongue that he does. Can we practice it right now? I don't mean this moment, but can we practice it here in 2018 in Lloydminster? Can we practice going outside of what makes you feel comfortable? Constantly looking for people that are like you so that you don't have to make the effort to love in a different way. Can we practice right now saying we're one in Christ? So I'm gonna go over to your house where you eat food that I think smells funny. And I'm gonna smile and eat more of it. And we're going to sit across the table and we're going to talk. And it's going to be awkward at first and be tough because we don't have anything in common that we know of until we really start getting to know each other and let the love of God cause us to form something deeper than just our shallow, surface, level, cultural stuff. And I'll find out something about you and you'll find out something about me. But what we'll find out is that there's far more that unites us than divides us. That sounds cliche, but it's very true in Christ. We are his, right? We've been brought into a family. Embrace that. Don't be threatened. Don't be, don't be worried that you're a little different than everybody else. Don't be worried that you dress different. Don't be worried that you, that you have, uh, you know, a different background. These things are beautiful. They're great. They're wonderful. Let's worship God together, right? Play your songs like you like. Pray like you like to praise. I mean, as long as it's got... The foundational elements, you pray your way, we're going to pray together, but I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying <laughs> we're all praying to Jesus, okay? So don't, don't take that and go, he just said, you know, we're going to just pray with the Buddhists and we'll all be the same. No. We're praying in Jesus' name, but you're going to pray different than I'm going to pray. You're going to see it different than I'm going to see it. Let's bring that glory to God. Let's glorify him together with one voice. Read Romans 15. Read how it says that with one voice, they're all going to glorify God together. He said, this is why we got to preach to the Gentiles. He's preaching to a group of people that say, well, we're different. We can, never get, we can never be the same. He says, of course you can. God said it from the beginning that the Gentiles and the Jews will worship God together. Different languages, but with one voice. Let's stand up. Lord, we thank you.